my friends, my family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jane DeYoung, and I've been on staff for about 10 years and here at Hillside for 25 years. I'm your care pastor, which means that if any of you or someone you know could use some support for, of any kind, really, uh, please, please contact me. So here we are on the Sunday following the most fractious and contentious election that any of us can remember. I'm actually recording this on Thursday, two days after the election. And this is what we know. Um, some of us are feeling pretty good. Some of us are feeling pretty bad. And a lot of us are just kind of waiting to see what we're supposed to feel. As self-identified Republicans and Democrats, we are hoping, hoping for our desired outcome. And we have visions of absolute disaster should our guy lose. And yet, and yet, all of us believe in the same God and follow the same Lord, Jesus Christ. Go figure. How it, can it be that we both are so convinced of our rightness and both be devoted followers of Jesus? How can that be? I just kind of want to grab us all by the shoulders, myself included, and just give us a good shake. Who are we, people? Our country today feels like a divided kingdom. Remember in the history of God's people that um, everything kind of went to hell in a handbasket after Solomon died. His son Rehoboam was made king, but then 10 of the tribes of Israel rebelled and they formed a new kingdom in the north with a different king. And that king, Jeroboam, in order to completely separate his people from the people in the south, made all new um, worship places, new rituals, new priesthood, everything new, so that they would have no ties with the people in the south. And so the two kingdoms remained separate until they were taken over and destroyed. Now to shift um, a little bit, I wanna talk about uh, some friends that I've made. Over the past couple of years, I have made friends with a retired couple who have a wonderful big vegetable garden in their front yard. And as I'm walking my dog um, over the past couple of years, if they were out in the garden, I'd stop and we'd chat. And uh, over time, we've developed a friendship so that now once or twice a week, I just go up and sit on their porch with them and we talk and watch the world go by. We even occasionally order Thai takeout and have dinner together. It's a really comfortable friendship. But pretty early on in our relationship, I realized that their political leanings were different than mine. And maybe they realized it too, because we talked about a lot of things, but we never talked about politics until last week when the husband uncharacteristically started telling me about some things that he had learned about the presidential candidate that he opposes. And those things were pretty shocking and scary. And he explained how um, they'd shown emails and documents that proved this to be true. I asked him where he'd heard this and he, he named a news organization that I'm not familiar with. So that evening, I tuned into my usual news channel and um, was thinking that some scandal had broken. 
and uh, absolutely nothing was said about what my neighbor had told me. I was baffled. I read the news newspaper the next morning. Again, nothing was mentioned about um, what he had heard. And I realized then, and I guess I knew this already, that my neighbors and I are operating not only with different worldviews, but with very different versions of reality. I knew that no amount of arguing would resolve that. Not because we have differing opinions so much, but because we have different versions of the truth. And they are supported by totally different sets of facts. And that is what I find truly shocking and scary. And I have no idea how that will be resolved. Not in my lifetime, I don't think. And it's not going to go away because the election is over. Um, it makes you just kind of want to crawl in a Christian bubble. But guess what? It's all inside the Christian bubble too. And we're not supposed to be in a bubble anyway. So what are we as followers of Christ to do? I think this is an important question for us. The Apostle Paul used quite a few different metaphors in describing who we are and what we are to do. He likened us to soldiers dressed for battle, um, to parts of the human body operating together, to athletes vying for the prize. But the one metaphor of Paul's that always captured my imagination the most was that of ambassador. He uses it twice, once in describing himself in Ephesians 6, where he calls himself an ambassador in chains. And again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, this time describing us, and it's in verse 20. In that verse, which I will read in a moment, he uses one of his famous therefores. And those of us who've been in Bible studies long enough know that when that happens, we need to really pay attention to what went before because he's pointing to a conclusion from all that went before. So I'm gonna read the verses that precede verse 20 and I'll start in verse 14. Um, you'll notice another therefore in the middle of this text, but I'm, um, I'm focused on the one toward the end. All right, let's read. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now it's hard to resist diving into all of those amazing and beautiful statements 
<clears throat> throughout this text. But as we focus on verse 20 and the metaphor of ambassadors, just kind of hold on to some of those verses because we'll be coming back to them. So how does this metaphor of ambassador inform us today in this post-election world on who we are and what are we to do? The Greek word that Paul uses for ambassador is presbuo. I'm not very good at pronouncing Greek words, so bear with me there. Presbuo. And it occurs only these two times in the New Testament. It has an authoritative connotation being translated as to be an ambassador and has its root in the word for senior or elder. Now in exploring the role of ambassador, I found four aspects that explain why Paul found this to be a good metaphor to describe us as Jesus followers. First of all, an ambassador is chosen by the sovereign, by the king. Secondly, we, an ambassador is sent out on a mission. Third, an ambassador bears not his own or his or her own words, but the message of the king or the sovereign. And fourth, an ambassador not only represents the sovereign, but is considered the embodiment of the sovereign to the people to whom he or she is sent. Interesting. You see why this is such an apt metaphor. For we have been chosen, and I read from Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Secondly, we are sent on a mission, and I read from John 17, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Third, we bear the message of Christ, our King. And I read from Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And fourth, we too are the embodiment of our sovereign. As we bear the image of God, and I read from Genesis 1, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And as we also carry the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, and I read from 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So it's all there in scripture. Now let's um, flesh out the metaphor a bit. As ambassadors for Christ, our home, our native land, is the kingdom of God. Just think on that a little bit. That's our home, our native land. Our fellow citizens in this home country are the people of God. Our sovereign, the one to whom we report and from whom we get our direction, is Jesus Christ. And our home away from home, that is our embassy, where we have been sent is our home away from home is our embassy. And here's an interesting detail. Because the host country literally cedes to the ambassador control of the place where the embassy is located, we can understand that our church building belongs to the kingdom of God. And hence the concept of sanctuary. 
we could flesh that out some more, but I just thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. Okay, so we have uh, ourselves as ambassadors, our fellow citizens as the, as the people of God, our home church as our embassy, and our host country, the place to where we are, is the world. This is where we have been sent. So, like ambassadors on assignment, we are in the world, but not of it. We are in the host country, but we don't belong to that host country. And I read from John 17. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. To be an ambassador carries with it a mandate to be sent somewhere, to go forth in a strange land. And the world we have been sent to, my friends, is strange indeed. But here we are. Who are we? We are ambassadors for Christ. So let's ask that other question again. What are we to do? And let's find that in the metaphor. First, our job is to go out into this strange land, into the world, and engage with the people. Get to know them, to love them. And this is how an ambassador builds influence in the host country. Secondly, at the appropriate time, we share our message. Not the Democrats' message or the Republicans' message, but our sovereign's message of hope, of truth, of love, of grace. Third, and when our host country, that strange land, is in need, as it is now, we are to help them with support from our embassy, our church, and from our native land, the kingdom. And finally, number four, we are always to represent in everything we do and say the values of our sovereign. We're not in the host country as mere individuals following our own interests and pleasures. We are representatives of the kingdom of God, and so we are to live lives marked by compassion and forgiveness by self-denial, mercy, service, being agents of reconciliation and justice and peace, all those good kingdom values. And I forgot, I have a point five and six. Number five, we are to live in such a way that the people of the host country say of us, uh, the people of that country are different. They seem to truly love each other and us. They have a peace and a joy, even when times are troubled. And they often refer to the sovereign they serve with such love and talk about how he has changed their lives. And finally, now in number six, we must be willing to take risks as good ambassadors, to risk our own personal comfort, even our safety, relying on our sovereign to give us all we need to do our job. Now there's one more critical thing we are to do, but here the metaphor breaks down, as all metaphors eventually do. In the diplomatic world of embassies and ambassadors, there is only one ambassador per embassy. But in our embassy, the Hillside Covenant Church, we are all ambassadors. And this brings us some sense of comfort, really, and support. Hey, I'm not in this all by myself. 
but it also brings with it a danger. And the danger is um, when we do not act as one, when we bring different conflicting messages to the people of the host country. And so our final instruction from our sovereign is that we many ambassadors be one. In his priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples, but then he prays for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. And what is his prayer? And I read from John 17. Listen, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. Now think <clears throat> of how many other things Jesus could have prayed for, for us. That we be safe, that we be smart, that we be wise, that we be courageous. So many things he could have prayed, but he prays to his Father that all of them may be one. And that was his first priority what was most important to him. But what does it mean to us to be one? Well, there's a few things that, it, it, um, that seem to counter, contradict that, being one. We're each made by God to be unique. And so uh, being one doesn't mean that we're all little copies of the same pattern. Um, we are all also given uh, each given different gifts to help us serve God. So it doesn't mean that we all serve in the same way. And we are each given our own assignment, our own calling, in our own context. So being one doesn't mean that we are all doing the same thing in the same place. I think we find the answer to what it means to be one in the verses that precede Paul's therefore in verse 20. And so we're going to just look back at those verses I read earlier. In verse 14, we read, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So that tells us that it is Christ's love that compels us and enables us to be one. We don't do it out of our own strength. It is through Christ's love that we are one. It means that when we step out of the doors of our embassy, our beloved church, we are united in love for Jesus Christ and for one another. Now look at verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Being one means that we no longer live for ourselves, but for our Lord, our sovereign God. Now look at verse 16. <clears throat> so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. It means that we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. And continue this thought in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And so for each of us who follow Christ, we are new creations, and everyone we meet is a potential new creation, beloved by God. 
And finally, in verse 18, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So being one means we are all carrying the same ministry of reconciliation, the same message God has committed to us as his ambassadors. It just, it gives me a little bit of a shiver and it brings to mind that um, beautiful verse from Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Beautiful. This is who we are, people. So today, tomorrow, don't lament a political loss and don't exult in a political victory. But fixing our eyes on Jesus, let us be who we are and let us do what we are called to do. Now let's join Daniel as he leads us in a beautiful hymn on this very subject. And I'll be back afterwards with a final suggestion for us. church's one foundation is Jesus Christ the Lord. She is in new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And From every nation, yet one or only earth, a charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to Toil and tribulation and tumult of her war. She waits the consummation of peace forevermore till with the you were able to appreciate the words to that beautiful hymn. It provides a powerful meditation for us in the days and weeks ahead. 
You know, COVID-19 has taken a great toll on the church, and I'm speaking of church with a capital C, because um, it's made it much more difficult for us to be who we are and to do what we are called to do. What we need is ambassadors, because being an ambassador is not an easy thing. We need to be able to come together and to gather in our embassy, to love and encourage one another. We need each other and not just a video image. Um, we need real presence. And so my final suggestion is this. For those of us who are not at risk, I want to encourage you to come to church next Sunday on Magnolia in our beautiful sanctuary and to worship together. We'll be meeting at nine o'clock in the morning and we'll be doing this in following Sundays as well. So look for the details on that. We're observing the county's guidelines and restrictions, so it's important that you make a reservation. And you can do that on the Church Center app or um, by calling the church office. It's not back to normal, but it's a start, an important start. So I hope to see you there. Now, please join me in our prayer of benediction. Lord God, our King, help us with this. Help us to trust only in you, to be who you want us to be, your ambassadors, and to do what you want us to do, to bring your truth, the only truth, to a world torn by conflicting pseudo-truths. In the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Go with God, my friends, my family.